In his novel, The Unbearable Lightness of Being, Milan Kundera writes about Stalin's son, Yakov, who was captured by the Germans during World War II. Yakov was imprisoned in a camp together with a group of British officers. Having to share toilets, the officers resented Stalin's son leaving a mess behind him. They didn't want to have their toilets smeared with shit, even if it was the shit of the son of the most powerful man on earth. When they brought the matter to his attention, Yakov took offense and repeatedly refused his cleaning duty. Yakov argued and fought and cursed, but to no avail. Feeling utterly humiliated, he desperately ran out, threw himself on the electric barbed wire fence surrounding the camp, and died. Was he, writes Kundera, who bore on his shoulders a drama of the highest order as fallen angel and son of God, to undergo judgment not for something sublime, but for shit? Were the very highest of drama and the very lowest so vertiginously close? Rejection and privilege, happiness and woe. No one felt more concretely than Yaakov how interchangeable opposites are, how short the step from one pole of human existence to the other is. Can proximity cause vertigo? It can. When the North Pole comes so close as to touch the South Pole, the Earth disappears, and man finds himself in a void that makes his head spin and beckons him to fall. Vertiginous, a radio play by Danny Gall. Part One, Camilla. A yellowed postcard, dated 1946, shows a photo of a woman walking on a tightrope, holding a balancing pole. The rope is stretched over the bombarded city of Cologne. The young acrobat, who was years later identified by an eyewitness as Margareta Zimmermann, is seen carefully walking toward the camera. Her straight gaze suggests concentration of both body and mind. In order to not lose balance, she avoids looking down at the ruins of Hoemacht Square, where a group of people has gathered to watch the spectacle in the sky. They, too, looking up, are avoiding the sight of the complete destruction that surrounds them. Margareta Zimmermann, whose stage name was Camilla Meyer III, was an acrobat in the Camilla Meyer troupe. The High Wire Circus Troupe, named after the legendary Camilla Meyer I, was founded in 1943 by the Jewish acrobat Ruth Hempel, whose stage name was Camilla Meyer II. Because the troupe was founded by a Jewish woman and directed by a political dissident, the journalist and performer Hans Zimmer, it was banned shortly after its founding. The troupe resumed activity at the end of the war, performing dangerous open-air shows over Germany's ruined cities in the aftermath of Germany's Zero Hour. Zero Hour is a military term that indicates the beginning of a war or a time when a great battle is set to begin. However, for Germany, May 8, 1945, the day of the Third Reich's unconditional surrender and the official end of World War II, 
the phrase offers an absolute break with its past and an opportunity for a radical new beginning to what was a military, but more importantly, a complete moral defeat. In April of 1948, while visiting the ruins of Rumerberg, Frankfurt's ancient city square, the writer Max Frisch witnessed one of the Camilla Meyer troops' spectacles. The Death Walk of Camilla Meyer. It is a very young girl who fulfills the great oath to the deceased not once, but night after night. Slowly, she rises from the reddish rubble, a white pole in her hands. Slowly, foot by foot, she climbs up into the night. Without a net under the rope, that is the unique thing. When she misses and falls, silently, a dull thud in the rubble, almost inaudible. A brittle crack of the shattering pole, nothing else. A thin and incredulous outcry from a thousand spectators, some rising, some remaining seated. A friendly report in the press, a report with picture, a strange lifelong memory for individuals, a good death, a single death. A death of one's own, better than death in the camp, better than being shot without eyewitnesses, better than slowly starving and rotting in a guarded mine. A personal death, a playful death, a human death. But she doesn't fall. In the fall of the same year that Max Frisch wrote these lines, Hans Zimmer, the journalist who was the head of the Camilla Meyer troupe, was sued for infringement of intellectual property. A young woman from Hamburg named Camilla Meyer accused him of the unlawful use of her name. Meyer claimed that she was the one and only Camilla Meyer and that the famous acrobat Camilla Meyer the troupe was named after was only a stage name, and that the real name of the acrobat was Charlotte Witte, also known as Lotte. The real Camilla Meyer was the daughter of the famous French-born German circus acrobat Camillo Meyer, also known as Napoleon of the Skies. Following in her father's footsteps, Camilla started tightrope walking already as a child. She was only 12 years old when Camillo took her on tour in 1934. During their visit to the city of Stetten, he discovered Charlotte Witte, a local 15-year-old daughter of a plumber and a talented acrobat.
Camillo was stunned by the young Charlotta's performance, and after seeing her effortlessly standing on the 50-meter high pole, he made up his mind to make her the world's greatest circus acrobat. In the following years, while the real Camilla Meyer left her circus career to help the war effort by serving in the Reichsarbeitsdienst, a forced labor service that provided support for the German army, Lotta was becoming an international star. Adopted by Camillo, she started performing under the name of his real daughter, Camilla Meyer. When the Second World War was over, the real Camilla Meyer decided she wanted to resume her career as a circus acrobat. She was a high-wire artist who performed neck-riding, a dangerous circus art of zip-lining between two poles of buildings while hanging from the neck. Her dream was to take a neck-ride from Hamburg's Heiligengeistfeld Towers, the massive concrete bunker meant to protect the city from the Allies' firebombs, all the way down to the Althof, one of the world's oldest circuses. But first, she had to claim her name back as Camilla Meyer. Over the target, the Americans found an enormous amount of smoke rising from the fires caused in the RAF nitrate a few hours earlier. However, they went in and proved that there are certain kinds of hamburgers they don't like. When Hans Zimmer received the court summons for Camilla Meyer's lawsuit, he immediately issued a letter to her and a copy of it to the press. In this three-page letter, ornamented with a delicate illustration of a dancer balancing on a rope held by two doves, Zimmer describes his relationship with Camilla's father, Camillo Meyer. I was wanted by the Gestapo. As a journalist, I criticized the regime. I was on the run. I arrived in this small village. That's where I met Camillo Meyer. He and his band were performing in the village arena. Camillo offered me shelter and a job, which I happily took. Slowly, I worked my way up in the troupe from a simple worker to a manager. The work was good, but after a while I started noticing that Camillo was very strict with his acrobats. I didn't pay much attention to it at first. But when it came to his star, Lotte, Charlotte, or by now she was known as Camilla, it looked like he was roughing her up more than what some people would call tough love. Zimmer wanted to help, but couldn't do anything. You see, I was dependent on Camillo. He protected me from the regime. He was the one thing between myself and prison, or even a concentration camp. When I commented on his rough approach with his acrobats, he was calm, even cold. He said he was merely protecting them. I have to be tough. This is dangerous work. And Lotte, she's too young. Specifically, he said he was protecting Lotte, who was very young, and especially after what had happened to her in England. In 1940, Hans Zimmer left the troupe. In the following year, Camillo Meyer was sentenced to three years in prison in Stetten. Zimmer recalls that during the trial, a number of young apprentice girls appeared on the witness stand. When asked to elaborate on the charges against Camillo or the nature of the girls' testimonies, Zimmer refused. In 
When Camilla Meyer received the letter, she said contemptuously, This is what I call to air the dirty laundry. Zimmer took advantage of my father's imprisonment to take over the troop and name it Camilla Meyer. At the end of the trial, Zimmer agreed to drop the Meyer name, but only after my father went after him too. After the war, Camillo Meyer appeared in the East Zone with the Camillo Meyer Stratosphere Show. He told everyone that he had been a prisoner of war in a Soviet camp. The idea to call his act the Stratosphere Show came from the English press. In late August 1937, the troupe made a guest appearance in Clacton-on-Sea, a small resort town on the eastern shore of England, famous for its entertainment facilities. The press adored Camilla Meyer and gave her the nickname the Stratosphere Girl. It was something new for the English to see young girls climbing up a 53-meter mast. Mast climbing, or Chinese pole, is the art of performing acrobatics while hanging from a vertical steel pole. Thousands of Londoners headed for the nearby seaside resort in the evening to admire the art. The high pole was performed without a safety net. Camilio Meyer tells the story of a performance that almost ended in tragedy. I checked the ropes that morning. If there was only the slightest damage to them, I would have the faulty stacks of ropes replaced immediately. It was half past seven in the evening and the show began. Over 20,000 people were standing in the square. I had to call the police to put the crowd in order. The bobbies had a hard time pushing back the crowds. First, I did the nightly tricks with my girls, walking rope, sitting on a chair, baking pancakes in the air, playing cards, cycling. Then, Lotte, otherwise known as Camilla Maya, or the Stratosphere Girl, as the Brits called her climbed the 53-meter-high mast with a certainty that a sailor would envy and put her head in the loop. The loop was an aerial hoop usually about the size of a hula hoop suspended from the mast. The acrobat used to perform on it when reaching the top of the mast. There was silence in the white square. You could have had a pin drop. I looked into the faces of the people staring up. I saw fear and horror in their eyes. Many women could not bear to look. And then Lotte came sliding down the mast. An outcry of relief escaped from the audience. Now came the final act. Lotte had to go back to the top of the mast 
to do some freehand dance movements and then finally act a headstand. It was now dark. A red light illuminated the top of the mast. It was an eerily beautiful picture by the sea. It was still. There wasn't even a breeze. The music played softly. Suddenly, it seemed to me as if the top of the mast was tilting. I came closer. I had no doubt the mast was beginning to bend like a fishing rod. Lottie was hanging with one leg in the sling and the other was level with the mast. As the girl moved, the mast swayed like a reed in the wind. Part of the audience thought it was part of the act and applauded. Others screamed in fear. I rushed to the police with the rescue team. We saw the, with horror that all the ropes were cut and were slowly listening. I called the police for help. And in this situation, we didn't have time to think. Lotte never got out of the loop past the dead point. The dead point is the moment where the acrobat's body slows down in the air to almost full stop. The body looks as if it is weightless and creates an illusion as if it is frozen in the air. I called to her with the speaking trumpet to hold out and not get nervous. With all our strength, we hung on the ropes and pulled. In my mind, I saw bloody human corpses wreathing on the floor in pain. The music stopped. The people fled wildly out of the danger area. The mast could have killed us all if it fell over. It straightened up inch by inch. Lotte was still in the loop. She couldn't hold out this position much longer. I begged the people not to let go of the ropes. I looked up into the sky. Up there in the red light, a little human hung as if lifeless and waited for rescue. At last, she managed to pull the device towards her and slip inside. Departure! I shouted. She shot down like a flash of red light and was caught. When I rushed over to her, thick tears ran down her cheeks. She sobbed and threw herself on my chest. Someone cut our ropes. That was certain, but who and why? I ran to the police. I needed to find out who did it. Hit his face with my fists. My hair had turned completely gray in those few minutes. Eventually, the Scotland Yard officers arrested a 19-year-old mulatto and another three teenage rascals. Mulatto is a racial classification that refers to people of mixed African and European ancestry. It is considered to be outdated and offensive. Apparently, in the afternoon, the gang had cut ropes with razor blades to watch the mast fall with the girl on it. On the next day, the manager of the Butlin Amusement Park, Mr. Stanley Wells, told a reporter about the event. It seems absurd that anyone could have a personal grudge against Miss Meyer, who has been here only a couple of weeks and does not speak English. We are completely at a loss to find any reason for the cowardly attempt. A British reporter later asked Camillo why he hadn't installed a safety net. 
He said that a safety net robs the audience of the illusion. The public in England loves the thrill more than anything. A lot of money can be made in England with dangerous performances or so-called numbers. And if the girl really had broken her neck, continued the reporter. That would have been artless. She must reckon with that, said Camillo calmly. In 1938, the Camillo Meyer troupe returned to perform in Clacton-on-Sea. The park management appointed four guards to protect Lotta after she and Mr. Wells received a threatening letter. Printed in capital letters, it read, "You stopped my attempt on the stratosphere, girl, but I will soon get her." Signed, the Acrophobian. The letter was post-stamped at Weybridge, a town 100 miles away from Clacton-on-Sea. It was followed by two telegraphs, which read, "I meant my letter." Signed with the letter A. In the following years, Lotta continued to perform widely around the world as Camilla Meyer. On January 20th, 1940, she performed in the Deutschland Halle in Berlin for the first time in the circus show People, Animals, Sensations. The Deutschland Halle was a gigantic convention hall commissioned in 1935 by the Nazi Party for its assemblies. It was later destroyed during the Allied bombardments of Berlin. In what was to be Lotta's last performance, The 20-meter-high mast she was standing on broke. The stratosphere girl fell. She was 21 years old when she died. Vertiginous, Part One, Camilla. Written and directed by Danny Gall. Narrated by Alex Martin, with Alexei Korolyov, Eva Plachenska, and David Warawa. Producer, Jean Drach. Assistant producer, Livia Heis. A podcast production by Oh Wow. Music and archive material, Danny Gall. Commissioned by Ruth Anderwald, Sergio Edelstein, and Leonard Grond. As part of their project on certain groundlessness, in the framework of navigating dizziness together, supported by the Austrian Science Funds. FWF Peak AR 598, hosted by Zentrum Focus Forschung at the University of Applied Arts Vienna, Vienna, 2022.